Many of us have done cruises. Some of us enjoy flying. And some of us prefer time behind the wheel on the open road when it comes to taking vacations. But some also enjoy the scenery and the beauty and a little bit of relaxation on the rails. And that is what we are talking about today with our returning guest, Garrett. Garrett's been on the podcast many times before, and I really am excited to have him on again. All units stand three. It now appears as though shots are being fired. All officers use caution. It has been confirmed. Suspects are armed and are firing at police. Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and today Garrett Falwell joins us again on the podcast. And I always enjoy having Garrett here. We've had him on on episode 232 and 258, and today we are talking about Garrett's recent trip that he took on Amtrak's California Zephyr. And I believe a majority of what Garrett and I shared today would apply to just about any long-distance rail not specific to Amtrak or the Zephyr. Garrett talks about how he figured out what frequencies to use, what he saw on the trip, what he heard on the trip, and some tips and tricks that he's learned while taking the trip, and also some things that he might do different if he takes another trip. And of course, everything's a learning experience. That's what we enjoy doing as a hobby, and that's what makes us a hobby, right? Is that we figure something out, we enjoy it, we tweak it, we go back again, and you're always going to find something that it is that you want to do differently or that worked out well for you. And to be able to take something you enjoy and add scanning to it, hey, that's even better right there. And again, that's what Garrett did, and that's what he is here to talk about, how he took his multi-state trip from California to Colorado on the Amtrak Zephyr or California Zephyr, I think it was, and how he was able to listen to everything and and plan out his route and everything else and how it really enhanced a day's or day and a half commute, maybe a two-day commute, and uh, helped him pass the time. So let's go right into it right now and uh, welcome Garrett back to the podcast. Garrett, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. This is what, time number four or something like that that you've been on and uh I enjoy talking with you. In fact, we, we've gone now oh, 15 minutes just before we even hit record, just catching up and, and talking about this and that. So, Garrett, thanks again for uh, coming back on the podcast. Absolutely, Phil. Always a, a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me back again. So, for anybody who hasn't heard any of your prior podcast episodes before that you were on, can you do a really quick introduction about yourself and what it is that you typically like to listen to? Sure. So, I got into scanning a long time ago. My uncle actually got me into it. We used to listen to the fire dispatch actually up in Lake Tahoe. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I have carried that interest for years now and primarily listen to and scan a lot of sort of public safety. 
but also dip my toe into the world of middle air scanning, as well as in this podcast, dipping my toe, maybe maybe my foot at this point, into sort of rail fanning and, and scanning on, on railroads. So I'm, I'm newer to the railroad part. So for all of the listeners out there that are really hardcore rail fans, I'll apologize in advance. I'm still pretty new to it. So if you're out there yelling at your podcast player going, wait a minute, there's more to that. It's There probably is, but um, we're just going to talk about it probably from the perspective, which is mine, of being a bit of a novice on that side. So I'm getting into that side of the hobby as well. Excellent. So you right now, Garrett, you know more about railing than I do. It's just something that I really can't get into here. All we have is commuter lines and uh, commuter lines and, and, and a freight train rolls through probably once or twice a week tops using the same line. So there's not much excitement here when it comes to railing. There are in other parts of the country. But uh, if anybody is out there yelling at their podcast player right now saying, but wait, there's more, come on the podcast and let us know what, what but wait, there more there actually is. And we'll let you be Billy Mays for a while. So, but Garrett, it's, it sounds like you're taking a step to broaden your horizons when it comes to scanning, which is always exciting to hear because there is more out there to listen to than just police and fire. And that's kind of what I try to preach a little bit here is that, you know, the secrets are in the searches. And sometimes we need to think outside of the the box, so to speak, and find something different or something new that's going to excite us or reignite excitement for scanning by finding something new that's out there. Absolutely. And I've definitely found that with the railroad side, which I'll go into some details yeah, on here oh, in the podcast. But but absolutely. It it was just another facet of of scanning that I we're lucky here in, in California in the Bay Area. We we do have a lot of you know, unlike yourself, Phil, we do have a lot of rail lines and, and there are there's plenty of opportunities to to scan in that band and to learn what's out there and to listen and to find out what's around. So Nice. So what kind of lines do you typically have in your, in your area? So we have a lot of Union Pacific. And again, I'm, I'm speaking about this as if I'm a deep expert, but I'm still learning. So there's probably more than what I will outline here. We have a lot of, we have a lot of Union Pacific Railroad lines here, and we have a lot of different train operators that operate on the Union Pacific lines. So we have Amtrak, we have Caltrain, we have AC Transit, I think, operates on Union Pacific lines. So Union Pacific owns, from what I can tell, owns the actual railroads, but allows other train operators to utilize them. So you can hear them not only utilizing the railway, the physical railway and the rights of way, but also frequencies. They'll share the same sort of dispatch frequencies because they're using the same lines. So I want to talk about this just in the context of a trip my wife and I took last June. So to kind of anchor my experience and to walk through a specific part of what I've been scanning and how I had had fun doing this. Because scanning in the rail in the Bay Area for railroads in general is is easily immense. So I wanted to kind of take it to a bit of a personal experience and where I kind of decided to to make an entry point into this part of the hobby. Yeah, excellent. That's so that you guys, cool. that sounds perfect. We're going to go yeah. right down to a, a micro level or one rail in the entire it, Exactly. <laughs> we're we're system, just going right? to take one, yeah, we're going to take <laughs> one sort of thread and, and walk through uh-huh. it, but there's there's a, just a ton of other stuff there. So Perfect. And I'm going to assume too, everything we talk about here is not 
specific to the Bay Area that anywhere else that has this line, you're going to hear about the, pretty much the same stuff. People do the, the exact same thing you're doing, and it will be not so much location specific. I mean, maybe to the U.S. or North America, but not to the Bay Area. My hope is yes, Phil. Okay. The answer to that question is is yes, and I, I'll highlight a few of those through the experience I had on with my wife on, on the California Zephyr. So how about we start okay. there? Yeah, so let's talk about the California <laughs> Zephyr. With the, with what the, is it? The little intrigue there, the California <laughs> Zephyr. So the California Zephyr is an Amtrak line, or sorry, an Amtrak train service that runs from Emeryville or San Francisco to all the way to Chicago. And my wife and I took it from San Francisco, or really Emeryville. Emeryville is across the bay from San Francisco. Uh, we took it from Emeryville to Denver, Colorado. And not to be too much of a marketer for Amtrak at this point, but that is a absolutely beautiful part of the California Zephyr. You go through the, Cal- the, the Sierra Nevadas, the Rockies, and some beautiful country in Nevada and on into, into Colorado. So it's a beautiful, it's beautiful scenic train ride for anyone who is just interested in generally taking a train ride. So just a quick plug for that. It was really wonderful. And so we started our our journey, as I mentioned, in Emeryville. It's a two-day ride. We started, I believe, in the morning and got to Colorado the following day, sort of late in the day, if I'm not mistaken. We only spent one night on the train. And what better thing to do while on the train enjoying beautiful scenery than to get out the old scanner, right, Phil, and see (laughs) see what I could see what I could hear. (laughs) Right. So to shortcut, to kind of give some shortcuts and some pro tips to begin, and then I will kind of break down how to actually go the long route if you don't want to use the shortcut. How about that? It's kind of the Sounds way I was good. Hoping, yeah. to, hoping to walk through this. So the shortcut for me started when we were standing on the platform waiting to board the train. And there was a guy standing on the platform as well who had... I believe it was a BCT 125 AT and okay. he was there with his earpiece in. And I said, there's another, there's another scanner. There's a fellow one scanner. One there's us. one of us. <laughs> I know what he's doing. He is listening for the trains coming and going from this depot. And uh-huh. so I walked up to him. I tapped on his shoulder and I said, that looks like a unit in scanner. You must be listening for the trains coming. And going. he said, sure am. And this is, the frequency that you're going to want to listen to as the trains enter Emeryville and exit uh, heading up toward Sacramento and into the central part of California. And I, I said, oh, can I can I talk to you more about this? I'd love to. And then, of course, the train starts to pull in and we've got to get going. <laughs> so I never got the gentleman's name and he it will probably forever be lost in history as to who he is. And But I thank him for his help and he literally started me off on the right foot. So just a kind of pro tip for those out there if you see a fellow scandard is that what we're calling Scanner, ourselves yep, these Scanner, days yep. Bill, mm-hmm. tap him on the shoulder it literally put me on the right track Ooh, there we go first <laughs> first pun of the podcast put me on the right track right off the bat with giving me an indication of what i should start listening to as we first started and boarded the train so talk to your I'm fellow gonna, scanner i'm gonna say right here it's, it's too bad this one's not on a YouTube session that we're not at the point there because we can keep a little uh, ticker going. 
in the corner of how many puns we're going to how actually many, end up how saying right this on podcast. Track puns. Yeah. I was, I was going to say I didn't want to derail us here, but you know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, <laughs> the hits will keep coming. We're just starting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he gave me the tip about the dispatch frequency that is used at the start of the Amtrak train journey in Emeryville, which is 160.8. And so I started there and I started by listening to that dispatch frequency. And and sure enough, he was absolutely right about that. So I'm going to now, hopefully this isn't too confusing, but I'm going to fast forward through the entire journey for just a moment. And what happens in Amtrak particularly is that they get handed off to different dispatchers as it goes, as they go from subdivision to subdivision. And those different subdivisions have different dispatch frequencies. And there is a website called ontrackonline.com that I found that actually outlines all of these different dispatch frequencies as the California Zephyr moves all the way from Emeryville to Chicago. Wow. So that's kind of like having a train ticket that tells you where all the stops are on your scanner. Exactly, Phil. Exactly. So this was gold. And I want to give credit to, I don't know any, I found this website. It looks like it was created by David Warner and Harry Sutton, who I I don't know, but if you're out there listening, big props to you guys for putting this website together. It really does a fantastic job of outlining all of, and so far as I can tell, these are all spot on accurate of the dispatch frequencies that you're going to need to have in your scanner as you move from different region to region, different subdivision along the Amtrak line, specifically for the California Zephyr. So if you want to cheat and you just want to put all these dispatch frequencies into your scanner and pre-program them, here's your ticket to doing that is to use this website and to use these specific frequencies. Very cool. Now, one thing I'll point out just real quickly while we're while we're talking about this is that you'll notice that as the California Zephyr, the Amtrak train moves from California into Denver and beyond Denver, it moves from Union Pacific to BNSF. It moves on to tracks that are no longer managed by Union Pacific that are now managed by BNSF. And that's another big train operator here in the US. I imagine, Phil, have you heard of BNSF or at least sort of in oh, passing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep, great. Yep. So they're going to utilize a whole different rail network for part of the journey and then a whole other rail network for the other half of the journey, roughly. But the point I'm trying to make is that it will you will have different dispatch frequencies and you will have to kind of be aware of the fact that the train is actually moving from a different owner-operator track system as it progresses through the journey. So that changes the frequencies that are going to get used. Again, cheat sheet is all here. No problem. It's all outlined and we'll pass along the, the website URL, Phil, in the show notes. Uh, yeah, we'll put so. that right in the notes. Yep, exactly. And again, this is, like you said, this is the shortcut version and you'll go through the the, the lengthier version. So I'm kind of yes. biting my tongue here or at the alternatives you can do because I know, or I know you're going to, you did your homework, you, you got everything prepared to go. So I'm just sitting here. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> all right. We'll see, Phil. We'll see if I get an A yeah. on my homework or not. But so for those of you who are just looking for the cheat sheet, the quick, the cliff notes and the answers to the test, here's that. I hope you don't sign off from the podcast right here and now and just say, great, I'm taking the cheat sheet and I'm going to pass the test. If you want to learn a little bit more as to how you find these frequencies and how they actually follow the train throughout its journey, we're going to walk through that 
right now. How does that sound? So sounds perfect. Now, really quickly, the website that you're on, that's only for the uh, California Zephyr. That's not for the any of the other uh, lines. No. So actually, if you look at like in the Amtrak frequencies, they have a bunch of other Amtrak lines in here. I didn't. Looks like maybe the the California Surfliner, which is another train that goes actually from San Francisco down to San Diego in California. Okay. It looks like they have some of the frequencies potentially for that in here. I only focused on the California Zephyr, but I think in this website, these guys have actually outlined other train lines and what frequencies to use on those train lines. I think okay, I haven't perfect. gone too much further, but I think it is more, I think it is more than just the California Zephyr, which is exciting. There's more, more to it than that. Good to know. So and the website name one more time on track online.com. And it's got and dashes in between on yeah. track online.com with dashes all in between. On so dash we'll track we'll dash on dot dash line.com. <laughs> yeah, it's link, a tongue twister. Link in the description, though. Yeah, link will be in the easier. description. <laughs> link will be in the description. And so, as we progressed on our journey, starting in Emeryville, starting in the San Francisco Bay Area, what I did was I reverse engineered these. Was that another pun? That might be another pun, Phil. Oh, boy, I missed it. Reverse engineered. There's okay. another one. Reverse engineered uh, the different dispatch frequencies that are being used in different subdivisions of the line. So here it'll say from Emeryville up to Rockland, it'll use you know 160.8 is the fr- dispatch frequency or the train control dispatch for that specific region of the journey. And then once it reaches between Rockland and West Hagen, which I think is actually in Sacramento or just shy of it, they will then switch to frequency 160.875. Now, how do we know this or how do we sort of unpack this? If you look at uh, the radioreference.com, which is our favorite website of Scanners, Phil, right? Just can't get out of radio reference. If you look at the... In my particular state in California, so if I look at radio reference and I drill down into California railroads, I can find all of the Union Pacific frequencies in California. And that's specific, all the Union Pacific frequencies utilized in California in radio reference. So that's where I started. Amtrak's on a Union Pacific rail line. Let's look at Union Pacific frequencies. And Thanks to the gentleman who gave me the pro tip very start of our journey, he said it's it starts at the Martinez subdivision. That's the first region that Amtrak dispatch will utilize for the first part of the journey. So this is the 160.8, and this indicates between 10th Street in Oakland all the way up to East. I'm sorry, West Hagen. I think it's West Hagen Road, which is near Sacramento. They're going to be on that specific. They're going to use that frequency for dispatch and train control. Now, once they move past Hagen and they start getting into the Sacramento area, they're going to switch over to, I think it's the Rockland-based frequency. Yeah. So then I take a look in radio reference and you can find that there is a, there's a Roseville and I think a, there might even be a Sacramento area one. Yeah. And there's a Sacramento area as well. So you can start to 
basically just think about or put mentally or on a map, think, okay, there's a Martinez. And if this train continues along, I used a Google map, this train continues along towards Sacramento, what are the other major subdivisions that it's going to cross? And I just reference that in radio reference to try and find where's where's the next subdivision that it's going to to cross into and I'm now what sure. um what are the subdivisions are these like major metropolitan hubs or are these actually rail uh subdivisions that go by their own names they're subdivisions that i think are broken out by geographic area that have a specific dispatcher assigned to them okay. that are fairly they're fairly naturally logical in the sense that like Martinez really covers a lot of the San Francisco Bay area or East of the San Francisco Bay area. And then the next subdivision is roughly between the Bay area and Sacramento. I don't know how well, you know, your California geography, Phil, I'm quizzing you on that a little bit, but Sacramento's in the, in the middle, roughly the, you know, the middle between the Western part of California and the far Eastern side of our state. So these divisions roughly outline, I would say, geographic, naturally overlapping and naturally sort of as it moves from one geographic part of the state to the next, there'll be another subdivision around that. Does that make sense? Am I yep. clear? No, you, you got it. Yep. Good, good. So to really unpack where each of those dispatcher frequencies come from is to just very simply figure out what operating line the train is on, Amtrak runs on Union Pacific, take a look at the starting subdivision region, like where's the closest subdivision. I got help from the gentleman on the platform to say it's the Martinez subdivision. And then I just started looking at my Google map and looking at all these various subdivisions going, okay, like where's, as the train moves along towards Sacramento, where's logically the next geographic subdivision? Or for the Union Pacific, it was as they moved closer, they actually started to go to then utilize the Sacramento subdivision frequencies, right? The dispatcher frequencies and the, the road frequencies. The 168, I think it was eight, double check. Yeah, 875. So then they started to, to utilize the 160.875 dispatcher frequency. I can continue to go along. The next one would have been, I think, the Roseville subdivision. Roseville is beyond Sacramento as the train is heading east. So all I had to do was just naturally look across this and go, okay, well, then what's after Sacramento? Oh, probably Roseville. Oh, there's a Roseville subdivision. Okay, what's after that? Oh, probably the, the, it's actually the Winnemucca subdivision is the next one that I had in my notes. But hopefully you get where I'm going with this, Phil, just, right. just to kind of reverse engineer the way that those frequencies were compiled in, in that right. list. And again, we got another, another tally on the virtual screen here. The buns. <laughs> there we go. Another one. So, there we go. So basically, like like you're saying, right? Just to summarize here, is you have Google Earth or Google Maps open, right? You're you're following the railroad on it. You're looking at the geographical hubs, so to speak, as far as uh, metropolitan areas, and you're basically saying, okay, here's here's this, here's that, here's that. Go on radio reference under California railroads, and you look to see if there's a definition for that metropolitan hub, basically on the Union Pacific line. Correct. A subdivision, uh, correctly, a sub, uh, correct, a subdivision noted in radio reference with particularly a dispatcher frequency too, because that mm -hmm. would mean that that somebody 
just helping to dispatch trains in and out of that region. So you would you would hope, yeah. We would hope. <laughs> and so it started in the San Francisco Bay Area in the Martinez subdivision, which is down just sort of east of San Francisco. And then as it progressed, it got into the Sacramento subdivision and then actually got into the Roseville subdivision. And so all I was doing was just saying, okay, what's in radio reference as a subdivision? Where does that fall on the Google map? I used to Google map in particular, but it could be any map. And then I just sort of plotted it out. And you could very easily see, you could sort of unpack how each of those dispatcher frequencies and in what order you might want to maybe have them in your scanner or turn them on and off or have them avoided or unavoided to make sure that you were scanning more precisely the current and then upcoming dispatcher frequency for the train as it's moving through those regions. Now, are they handing off like you hear like aviation, they'll get the frequency for the next frequency that you're jumping onto, or are they just like blind handoffs? So I heard a little bit of both, but it could have also been because I missed it as well, Phil. So I did hear some handoffs. And then I also just, I think there are times when, especially in some of the more remote regions that they enter, where they just probably flick the radio dial, right? And go, okay, click. We're in the next subdivision. We don't have to tell dispatch or whatever, because we're probably one of two trains in this entire subdivision, right? If we're traveling in the middle of Nevada, a lot different than traveling in the Bay Area near Martinez, where that's a shared line between freight trains and Amtrak and whatnot. So it's pro- my guess is it's probably based on the traffic of that subdivision, whether it's a silent or a more intentional handoff between the trains and the dispatcher. Gotcha. Okay. I think, and again, it's probably where some rail fans out there who really know this cold are going, oh, it's something <laughs> different. Oh, it's something <laughs> different. So, but that was my, that was my experience. So. So the same thing was true as we moved into Nevada. So Amtrak continues to operate as it goes into Nevada. It continues to utilize Union Pacific lines. So if you want to carry this through, you can take a look at radio reference and take a look at instead of the California railroads, look at Nevada railroads and it will outline the Union Pacific frequencies in Nevada. And so all you have to do is say, okay, out of all these subdivisions in here, where's the closest one to where the train enters that state? And I'm pretty sure it was the Elko division. Yes, it was the Elko. The Elko or the Winnemucca division, one of the two. I think it was uh, Winnemucca. It was probably Winnemucca first. Yeah. So it enters Winnemucca first in Nevada. And so I was looking for the the frequencies for Winnemucca as it entered Nevada. So again, you just do the same thing. You just change in radio reference. You then reference the Nevada railroads. And the same thing will be true for, for Colorado. So you can go to Colorado and you can find all the railroads in Colorado, find Union Pacific. You get the idea, right? So you can yep, kind of... Yep get a greater understanding of the dispatch. And if you wanted to, the dispatch frequencies, and if you wanted to take it even steps further and look at some of the other frequencies that are in those subdivisions, I didn't take it this far, but maybe scan some of the additional frequencies in those subdivisions for other train crews that are working on the track or whatever else they might be talking about specific to that subdivision, if, if that's of interest. I was mostly 
focused on the dispatcher. I wanted to hear the train progressing from place to place. I wanted to hear it converse with the stations. That was my focus. But who knows? There's probably other chit-chat going on within those different subdivisions that you could scan. Right. I mean, I'm sure, too, there's also communications within the train itself. Oh, okay. Am I jumping in a little bit? Absolutely. Here? Well, I'll, I'll be quiet. <laughs> and then. absolutely, right. no. It's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great lead up. So let's. I think we're at a cross, a crossings here, right? So we're at we a can... crossing here, Phil. We're yes. at a crossing. Gosh, what? We're we up to like five or six now. Five <laughs> or six of those good puns. All right, we're going to take a quick break here with our conversation with Garrett. Just to remind you that if you are a Patreon support at $3 or a month level, you don't get this upcoming break. You can skip right past it. It doesn't exist for you. Help support the podcast by going to scannerschool.com slash Patreon. And again, $3 a month level. Not only do you get the podcast early, but you don't get this break. Everybody else, we'll catch you all in just a second. Chances are pretty good that you shop online and buy things online. So whether it's Amazon or eBay or Scanner Master, maybe you got a new radio and you're going to buy new software from Butel. You can help support the podcast with your online purchases. If you use our support page before buying things online, you can support our show without it costing you a single cent. So before you buy your groceries, your golf balls, your socks, or maybe a new radio, software, or whatever it is, we would love it if you could use our affiliate links before you make that purchase. And this will help support the show at no additional cost to you. Go to scannerschool.com support to find out how you can help us out. Thanks again. Do you feel lost when it comes to the scanner hobby? Are you looking for someone to answer your questions? Do you have a new radio and you need help understanding how it works? Or are you working on a big project and need somebody to bounce ideas off of? Do you need a little bit more personal assistance than what you can get from an online community? And are you looking for somebody to dedicate their attention and their time to helping you out when it comes to getting you unstuck? with whatever it is that you are struggling with when it comes to the scanner radio hobby, I'm here to do just that. See, you can book me for a session right now where I'll sit on Zoom and do a video or a screen share with you just as if I am sitting across the table and helping you out. You can book your tutoring session right now by going to scannerschool.com slash tutoring. I can't wait to help you out. Unication's G2 to G5 pages are great additions to your radio collection. Not only can they alert you with two-tone pager activations, but they can also monitor your local P25 simulcast systems that many scanner radios have problems receiving. And of course, many of our scanner school listeners are happily using their Unication pagers to scan their local trunk systems. How do I know? Because they've reached out to tell me. My company, East Coast Pagers, is an authorized Unication, Swiss phone, and Apollo pager dealer. We not only support departments and agencies, but also the home hobby user as well. Find us online at eastcoastpagers.com. Let's talk about close call. So not only is it nice to have these frequencies, these dispatch frequencies programmed into your scanner and to have that ready to go, but what else is your best friend on the train is turn on close call for all of our unit and scanner users. That's close call. And I think I'm, I'm a, pretty much primarily a unit and user, but it's, is it signal stalker in signal in, stalker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, um, in Whistler, Jerry Whistler, Whistler. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whatever the corresponding capability is in those other units, turn on close call because that is how you hear the conversations between the 
staff and conductors on board the train. And that's where you can easily pick up that conversation without having to wonder what frequency they're on. They did change the conductors and the train crew, the frequencies that they used to communicate as they changed crews in and out state by state. They use different frequencies to converse while just on the train, calling out like, hey, there's one more car, two more cars, three more cars before you need to stop engineer when they stop at the station, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So close call was a really important important tool to be able to hear that sort of inter-train communication, if that's that's my phrase of art for that, that I just made up right now, Phil. (laughs) So close call was another thing that I also had on in conjunction with scanning those dispatch frequencies now, so that I could were, were those frequencies well. within the uh, VHF railroad or were they UHF or absolutely so they were within the and I'm trying to remember I think it's within the if you look at the overall railroad frequencies with the, right, the AARL AARs yeah or AR sorry yes with yeah, the uh, 100 and something right so, yes So with the AAR, if you look on radio reference and you just look in the U.S. under railroads, you'll find that there's the AAR frequency list. And there are how many in here? I'm actually going to look. There's 97 to start. And then it keeps going. Actually, it goes all the way. What does it say here, Phil? Up to 196 channels. So what I found is that even the inter-train communication between the conducting staff and the the train crew it was within these frequencies it wasn't something it wasn't like frs or gmrs okay. or something okay so uh, even you if know, you didn't have close call i mean just by putting these 196 aar frequencies in your scanner would still yield you some results then on throughout your journey i think so i think that's okay. probably more the scattershot way of approaching it Whereas close mm-hmm. call was usually oh, yeah. pretty good mm-hmm. about picking that up. And it was a sort of set it and forget it type of experience. But yes, you're right, Phil. I think you could put all of these AAR frequencies into your scanner and and sort of be covered. But maybe, in my opinion, maybe not as precise as using the close call, but an option. Yeah. Right. So or you can sense. you can really, I'm trying to find a good pun here, but I can't do it. But We'll find another one. <laughs> well, I was going to say you could really cover yourself and just put close call on with the uh, the, the scan list of a whole 196. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you could really. That's true. You could you be could a, you could be a diesel that electric then at that point. There you go. You'd be the best of both worlds. There you go. <laughs> the hits will keep coming. <laughs> oh yeah, we get hit by the train, right? Yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> so, so yeah, that was something. Something else that was a key to listening to the listening to the sort of inner train communication was close call. So, speaking of that, mm-hmm. this is another good segue into. I wanted to mention what you hear when scanning on, in my example, the California Zephyr. What am I going to hear? Is it something that's interesting to me, or is it just something that's not? So, I want to tie in that too because I wanted to know how busy it is so when you talk about what you hear let's also discuss to how uh how much chatter there actually was if it was more downtime or was it was it was it a lot to listen to yeah i'll weave that in okay so 
the first first part of what you hear is on the dispatch frequencies, you do hear the trains calling their arrivals and departures into the stations. And that was pretty universal, whether it was a fairly remote station like Winnemucca, or if it was a rather populous station like Martinez or Sacramento in California. I found that interesting. It was nice to know that like we're a couple miles away from the station. And they would, I would know that before probably any of the other passengers knew it because I was able to listen to train dispatch. Other things you hear on the train dispatch frequencies are trains communicating with other trains. I had, I did hear one train say something about a peekaboo around the corner, like one from one train to another, like we're going to peekaboo with you around the corner. I assume that's like when they're both going to see each other around a bend or something like that. They had, some sort of train terminology. I wasn't too, but I was like, okay, we're going to peekaboo with another train, something like that. That was kind of fun. So it was a, a precursor to another train passing us. So when there were two lines in use, so I was aware of a train passing our train before, again, probably anyone else on board knew. There were times when you also hear engineers conversing with the train operators. I'm sorry, when you hear the the railroad workers communicating with the engineers and the locomotive staff saying, hey, we're working on the track, you know, at milepost 297, be aware, we're all, you know, wearing high visibility vests, what have you, but we're working here and we're going to step off, you know, step off the track or whatever and, and move away to let you pass, that kind of thing. So there was a little bit of right of way traffic as well on those frequencies to let the locomotive engineers know that someone was working on the track and that they would be yielding way to the train. You do hear conductors talking to engineers as well, particularly in remote stations when they're approaching, say, Winnemucca or Elko, for example, they will actually call out cars. So they'll say, two cars, one car, stop. They'll actually prompt the locomotive engineer when they need to stop at the station platform so the train's rightly aligned with the platform so the passengers step off onto the platform and not off into the gravel underneath the road, underneath the train. So you can kind of hear the train slow down and you can hear them call out the cars before the engineer needs to stop the Very train. Interesting. So that's kind of cool. That was fun to hear them like position the train at, at stops. The other thing, Phil, so to your question of do you hear a lot or is it fairly sparse? And I think what's cool about this is you can actually kind of turn that up or you can turn it down. And what I mean by that is if you want to hear defect detectors or milepost detectors, are you familiar with what those are, Phil? I was going to ask you if you were listening yeah. to those too. So I'm glad you... So you can. I listened to a few of them and then I got bored. <laughs> I was like, I don't know that I need to really listen to every defect detector. Along well, I mean, was it, the was it quite line. frequently? I mean, how like was it every half hour, 15 minutes? I mean, yeah, it was probably, again, it depends on the track for tracks that are more through more populous areas there tended to be more defect detectors because there was probably my guess right is there was more probability there'd be a defect with more people around the more someone would maybe push a shopping cart onto a railroad line or something really dangerous and stupid so i think there are there were usually more defect detectors reporting in the more populous areas of the line versus the more remote parts of the line, which made sense to me. Right. Mm -hmm. 
and again, there might be some real hardcore real fans going, oh my God, that's actually not right. There's something different there. So that was my experience. And please tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe there, there's something that I'm misstating there. But the point is, is that you could, you could listen for those or you could tune it out. You know, you could just avoid listening to, listening to, the, to the train defect detectors. And just a quick blurb, just for those who don't know what a train defect detector or milepost detector is, is that as the train passes certain mileposts along the way, there are automated recordings that will send a usually a pre-recorded voice recording that says Union Pacific milepost detector 292 on West Track, clear to proceed or no defects. And they're just along the train line indicating whether there's a problem with the tracks or a problem with like the trains hit something or something like that. It gives basically sort of a status of the train uh, line and if it's continuing to be operable or not. So you can, you can listen for those messages. They're, they're pretty much automated at this point, at least everything that I've heard, it's all automated. So it's whether you want to hear those things or not. And And if you're stationary too, right? I mean, if you're not on the train, it gives you an insight as to what's going on with the trains that are passing through wherever you're listening to. And you may hear a hot wheel or, you know, on right. car number 300 or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's a long, uh, freight train like that. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of like where you, you get them, right. They, they, they stop the line and they get out and they have to walk back, you know, a mile and a yep. half to, to get to the car to see what's wrong with it. Yeah. So yeah, right. it's how they know. Exactly. I mean, how else are you going to know you're carrying that many cars, right? Totally. You, know, you gotta have a way of, of knowing. Totally. And so the other thing you you could listen to, probably even less interesting, I didn't do much of this, but there's train telemetry. And you can listen for the signals that are put out for like end of train signals, like positive train control, I think, and the advanced train mm-hmm. control system that give indications of trains passing and where trains are along the line. For us in the scanner community, there are computers sort of talking to computers. So if you're hearing it on your scanner, it's it's sort of gibberish. It does, there's no real sort of legible voice to it. But you could, you can't, I, and I didn't futz around very much with this, admittedly, on, on this particular train ride that we took. But if you were so inclined, Phil, back to your original question, do you hear a lot? Do you hear a little? You could probably tune to some of this tr- train telemetry and at least kind of hear it reporting out again, in not a very legible, audible way, but you could hear it providing that information back to the advanced train control system or the positive train control. Right. And there is software too that you could run on a computer. And I assume you take an SDR, you tune in these frequencies, and uh, I've actually seen screenshots of it. And it's nice that you can put the lines on there and then it would fire everything off on your screen. So you'd be the virtual uh, engineer from your comfort of your chair. Totally. Absolutely. That you'd yes. be a, a way, 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 way backseat driver. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A way, way back, back, backseat driver. So absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that would be really cool to hear about. It's beyond what I did and beyond my pay grade to figure all of that out. But I, you're right, Phil. I, I've seen some YouTube and recorded content of people doing that. So next level stuff. Yeah, well, that's where you have to get to. <laughs> yeah, that's that'll be for the next the next train ride. So, the last part that I wanted to talk about, and then we can we can wrap it up or 
come up with some additional puns to play us out here, Phil, but is this sort of takeaways? What are some of the lessons that I learned and some of the things that I would have maybe done differently? We already mentioned it, but close call is your friend. It is so much easier to turn on the close call than to try and figure out the staff frequencies that are being used for inner inner train communication. I just found it so much easier to use close call and it worked. So use that. You can also hear the train locomotive engineers key up and transmit to the subdivision repeaters using close call as well. The challenge with that is that you sometimes don't hear the the response from the dispatch because the close call is only picking up on the output transmission of the the output transmission of the communication, not the response. Does that make sense, Phil? Am I being You're so right? About because that, when right? when when the train keys up, it's on the input of the repeater. Right. So you're not hearing the output of the repeater exactly. when you do close call. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it is a great way, and that was part of the reason, or part of the way that I was able to confirm some of these dispatch frequencies, or at least get close and have an understanding of whenever the train is communicating out to dispatch, close call would pick up on that and do a very good job of picking up on that. The challenge is, is that you want to hear the response. So having the having the dispatcher downlink frequency in your scanner somehow was a a key to hearing the entire conversation. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. great research tool and a great way to hear, but only half of the conversation for the train locomotives. For the intertrain, like the conductor and the train crew staff, close call worked great. No problems there. I could hear everything because it's simplex, right? So they're just right. keying up on the radios. Have a I have I have a good thanks to you, Phil. I have a good antenna on my unit in SDS one hundred. I have I was gonna the, ask you what radio you were using. So it was an SDS one yeah, hundred? Okay. It's an S it's an SDS one hundred, which is probably a little overkill, honestly, for, for just the, you know yeah. for the train communication, just the, the analog, especially some of the conventional and simplex. But needless to say, I love love this unit and I use it for just about everything. But the antenna on it because you're mostly listening to in fact almost exclusively unless you're doing the train telemetry and some of the other stuff we mentioned you're on vhf so having a good antenna for vhf is important and i use the srh 77 ca which phil i think you've mentioned a few times with the little adapter on there so that it gets underneath the lip of the sds 100 appropriately yeah, so let's, let's let's talk about that right because oh boy <laughs> the last time we talked you were like this and has stinks <laughs> exactly exactly so uh but yeah it wasn't making connector it wasn't the center pin wasn't getting into the center pin of the radio wasn't mating with it so it wasn't working so what did, what did you do you get a barrel connector on there or had you resolve yes, it i have i have another little device that I attached in between. It's just a coax connector. It's just a little adapter. I could include the link to it maybe in the show notes. It's, in fact, it's the just the SMA. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just a little connector. SMA, uh, yeah. uh, male on one end, female on the other end. It's like a little, it's like a, instead of being a gender bender, it's, it's uh, like an extension. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that so far, I think has worked very well for me. It was $6 for two of them. So if it didn't work, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. But again, getting back to my point here, have a good VHF antenna because that's primarily what you're listening for. So don't, pro- I would guess the stock antenna on the SDS 100, at least in my experience, it's, it's not a great VHF antenna. So get something that's good for VHF. It's general purpose. It's an equal opportunity offender. Is it's what I'd say. an equal opportunity offender. Absolutely. One thing I didn't do is I didn't record the audio from the truck. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Too. Oh, <laughs> Phil, I didn't do it and I regret it. It would have been a really fun kind of memento for the trip. It would have been fun to go back and listen to. And I didn't hit the record button on my SDS you 100. Yeah, you, you, now you have an excuse to take another trip. You know? There we go. That's right. <laughs> We're going to have to take the train ride again the so that I can work. <laughs> exactly. For, for the good of the good of the hobby, I have to take it, yeah. take it again. So the transmission's not quite as fast as what we find when you're scanning the airband, right? Which is mm-hmm. really fast AM, but still trains are similar right they make a point they converse they get off the air you know these they're not hanging around being chatty so you it's when you catch the transmissions they're fairly fast and it's nice to be recording to maybe if you didn't catch it all go back and listen to it i happen to enjoy them just as sort of trip mementos but i'm sure there's other uses for for those recorded files so record them would have been would have been fun to have yeah didn't do it you know what? This is one of those things with the hobby too, right? Every time you go through it, I could have, should have, or whatever. And you make sure that next time, okay, you know, I've, you figured things out this time around. The next time you add to them, the next time after that you add to them. And then, then all of a sudden you have a suitcase you take it on board with five radios in them. And, <laughs> and you have everything covered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So a couple of other takeaways is it was a great way to stay informed on the train. I'm sure for many of us, we've been on the train and my wife actually took a train ride a couple years ago up through Oregon that got delayed and had a bunch of problems. And I didn't bring my scanner and I had no idea what was going on until they shuffled us off the train and we had tons of questions as to what is actually happening. This time I said, I am taking my scanner so I can listen to what is being said. And if you've ever been on a train, I'm sure many of us have that's been delayed or been missed, you know, routed in a different direction. Or not, you're, you're sitting there going, what is happening? And it really was very nice to feel empowered to be informed as to what is actually happening. So it was great, a great tool for that as well, just to not be sitting in that moment with so many questions. I had the information, which was nice. Again, our trip to on the California Zephyr was basically flawless. We had a great trip. There have been other trips that haven't been, but this one was good. So <laughs> that's good. We didn't have to worry about it this time. But had it not been good, it would have been the scanner would have been a actually I think a really well, you know critical and nice to have tool right, right. to be able to listen to what's going on. Well, you could have passed the time. You and know, it's like, well, oh, Phil, and you took the other one. That's oh. absolutely true. You took <laughs> you took that one. While you are sitting there enjoying the beautiful scenery that's passing on the train, why not take in a little scanner as well? I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're going to play cards or do something else, it's another great way to just, as you're sitting there, enjoy the hobby. And enjoy the scenery all at the same time. And it was just, I thought, a really great one-two punch 
enjoy the hobby, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the train ride. And it was just, it was fun. It was fun to have the scanner with me. What did your wife do the whole time though? I mean, you were busy with the scanner. (laughs) She's an avid reader. So she was, it works out well. So it works out well. Headphones also work out really well with the scanner, right? She can't, she can't be the avid reader and I'm listening to the train with all the radio traffic. And Phil, I I think you've, you've done episodes on this where you're keep it to yourself type of thing. So, yep. So she got her time to enjoy a good book, to enjoy the scenery, and I got to enjoy my hobby quietly because of headphones, but worked out for both of us. And speaking of headphones and speaking of enjoying the hobby individually, I never took the radio out of our cabin. We we were in just one of the little bunk cars that had the, the beds in it. And I never took my radio out of that, our little private cabin. And I didn't do that because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I didn't want to be that guy walking from train car to train car with a radio, with a big antenna mm-hmm. sticking out the top of it, with headphones in, and people looking at me going, what is that guy all about? And I know, Phil, we won't belabor this point because you've made it several times, but I'll reiterate it. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person that draws attention to yourself and that's sitting on a train with all this gear everywhere. And people are probably wondering what in the world you're doing. So. I kept it very private. I kept it just to me and I didn't try and make it anything more than that. So, however, though, I thought the guy, the guy at the very beginning of the story, though, he wasn't keeping it private, although he was, he had headphones on, but you picked him out, you know, true. You, you know, yeah, that's yeah. true. So that could be a double edged sword. That's a good point, Phil. Yeah. As I was thinking about it, I didn't, didn't really want to draw other attention to myself from, you know, the train staff or anyone going, what is, the, what is this right. guy doing? So, at the other side, I'm sure though, there's a, a balance to be struck there, for sure. Right. So, But uh, if that guy made it a point to be at that train station to listen to the train come in, he may be back. You know, he I don't know how back. far you are. Yeah, he may he may be back there. So you might yeah. have a chance of accidentally bumping into him again on purpose. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I I'm, I'm, would imagine he is there quite often. He seemed very yeah. knowledgeable about it. So I will probably see him again. Yep. And that's Phil. Those those were the takeaways that I jotted down. Nice from the ride. And that was just one I, way. What about the way back? So we <laughs> flew back. Oh, <laughs> we <okay>. did fly <laughs> back because, as awesome as a two day train ride is, there's only so much time away from work that one right. can get. So we had to speed the the return trip back. But so you yes. had your own planes, trains, and automobiles then. Absolutely, lots, lots of great modes of transportation on that trip for sure yep excellent well Garrett, i'm going to tell you this right now you're not going to get coal in your stocking from santa claus this year because you did an excellent job at uh discussing the rail lines i think that was probably the last pun we probably have on this conversation <laughs> but who knows <laughs> there might be one or two more out there good but uh i'm glad but, i yeah. kept it on the rails for you phil that that's was right the, yeah that was, exactly there's a there's our last one <laughs> yeah so but uh it's, it was great i mean very informative and i've only taken the train from like an amtrak out of penn station new york to uh the albany area or even um up into the adirondacks there's a, a stop up there so when i was going to college so again it was it's a long ride not really much to see down here except for uh swamps and stuff before you get into manhattan and uh Upper New York or Lower New York, depending on how you want to look at it, it got pretty nice, but it wasn't. It was nothing like your ride. I mean, not through the areas and that that you were climbing through. I know it was a really nice tour, also that goes 
east to west and up through Canada too. It's supposed to be a really, really nice, uh, nice tour. But it's very good to hear that that not only you enjoyed the trip, but you were able to take your hobby along with you, and and that's again gives you something to pass the time, and also something to entertain yourself, and and something to learn too, right? While uh, while while you're sitting there, so absolutely, we had a great time. I hope everybody found this podcast session informative and helpful. And again, I'll. I'll apologize to all the hardcore rail fans for anything that I misspoke <laughs> about because I'm sure there's plenty more to dig more deeply into. But I had a great time and I look forward to the next opportunity, especially to record the next opportunity. Yes, especially to record. Exactly. All right, Gary. Again, thanks again for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate you having here. I appreciate you listening and being a supporter as well. I know you've been around pretty much since the beginning. And I'm always happy to have you on the podcast. And I look forward to the next time that uh, you want to bring something this way. I do too, Phil. All the best and all the best to all of our fellow scan nerds out there who are listening. All right. Thanks again. Thanks again, Garrett, for being a part of the scanner community and taking the time to come on to the podcast. I always love having a conversation with you, whether it be on the podcast or whether it be off to the side or via email or just something, right? Just staying in touch with you is great. And, you know, we're, we're kind of the same, even though you're West Coast, I'm East Coast. We really do. I think that you and I click. I mean, the conversation here kind of really shows it that, you know, we can pick up after not talking for a while and get right back into a hobby that basically is a common bond that not only you and I have together, but many more of us have as a part of the Scan Nerds community. And again, you you picked up on that as well. And, and I'm so happy to hear that you've used that phrase, the Scan Nerds community. Now, if anybody else out there wants to be part of the Scan Nerd community, you can join us over on Discord, scannerschool.com slash Discord. Or if you're on the book of faces, go to scannerschool.com slash Facebook group. So again, I would love to have you on the podcast, you the listener, you the members of the Scan Nerd community. Go to scannerschool.com slash guest and submit your idea for a podcast episode. It's a conversation. It's just a couple of people talking about the scanner radio hobby, the hobby that we all enjoy because, hey, we're all listening to the podcast right now. Again, scannerschool.com slash guest. Hey, make it your New Year's resolution to be on the podcast because that's coming up in just a few short weeks. Garrett, again, thank you so much for being out there, for being a part of the Scanner community, and for coming on to the podcast yet again for a conversation. And I look forward to the next time you and I speak. Before we wrap up this week's podcast, I want to take a minute here to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Bob Robs, Bob Middleton, Brandon Sammons, Brian Arsenal, Chris Paris, Classic Hank, Craig Harper, Dan, Daniel Chiavolella, Dave Pasco, David, David C., David Kuzneski, David Robertson, Danny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Glenn Davos, Greg Johnson, I Hate Junk Mail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, Jake Jacobson, James Felling, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff Waldrop, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, John Kordoff, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Derby, John Goldenberg, John Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Luke Hartnett, Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Michael Meadows, Mike Lopez, Mike Piltz, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Bowling, Paul Teal, Randy Young, Raymond Hill, Rich Palmieri, Ronnie Box, Scott Lefgrand, Thomas Giampino, Todd Glendai, and William Arcand. Find out more about Patreon and our support tiers by visiting scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week. 73.